0: On Young SAO, welcome to Afternoona Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unease.
1: Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. Happy recording night. I'm so excited to see you all again. (laughs) I know. I feel like it's been a while. Yeah, it's been Even though it's not. (laughs) Yeah.
2: No, it's been. No. It Yeah, it's been a week. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, when did BTS happen? I don't even know. It's been a week. I was like, has it only been a week? week. It's been a week. Sorry. I'm at the end of the school year. But I feel like like
0: we've all been really busy. (laughs) Like, we haven't been able to chat as much as we normally do, like, in
1: between. Yeah. So we're catching up. We're catching up.
0: Yeah. So it's like, nice to see you guys
1: catch up. How's the fam? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I do want to catch you up on an adventure that I had that I, you know, I know I like messaged you in the Slack about it, but I don't, I just want to have a minute to unpack it. And I'd like to share it to the folks listening. So, you know, I, I have been going to a lot of live music lately. You know, I have talked about going to BTS. I've gone to, you know, I've seen quite a lot of live shows. And something that has been really good that I've touched on as well has been getting, you know, my children into seeing some live music. Plus I can kind of hit that, oh, I'm parenting, but I get to go see a show, which is like this awesome new level up that I'm having with my kids getting a little bit older. With that, though, comes them developing their own tastes and their own interests, which I do support. However, my patience and my credulity... (laughs) was stretched when my son made a case of there was a group coming that he claimed is one of his most favorite musical acts. And they're called The Magic Sword. And The Magic Sword was coming to Berkeley to play in a small bar. They're on tour. And when I looked up the Magic Sword, just to kind of see what it was all about, it's essentially a group that's embedded in deep lore that has got like a fantasy element to it. And they've got names like The Keeper, The Seeker. They have like characters they play. They only play instrumental rock. And it all kind of hinges on busting out at different points in the set a gigantic, huge, like, eight foot broadsword that glows in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, and they wear hoods, they cover their faces and then they have like laser eyes. And I was like, okay. And so I kind of like didn't act on it. And my son was like, are you, are we getting the tickets? Are we getting the tickets? And I was like, oh, I forgot. I forgot. And finally I was like, okay, I'm being kind of an asshole. Let's do this. So I took him. And on the way there, I was thinking, I don't know what I'm getting into. And then I realized, listen to me being a judgy bitch after just doing a whole podcast on BTS, you know, recently and like how people are judgy about K-pop and whatever. I was like, you know what? Just go in with an open mind. And I showed up and a lady walked past me with two swords on her back that (laughs) she was she then pulled out and they glowed. And then I saw all these other people pulling out their glowing swords. And then my son was like, I'm going to buy a glowing sword at the merch table. And so I was surrounded by glowing swords. And I was like, you know what? This is like a K-pop concert. It's just instead of light sticks or whatever, they (laughs) all have glowing swords. Instead of the army bomb. Yeah, instead of an army bomb, it's a glowing, you know, sword. And the crowd was everything from kind of like computer science, you know, Cal student types to probably like a dungeon master from like a local group to some fetish wear. I mean, it really ran the gamut. (laughs) I felt like, you know, a little out of place, but yet at the same time, I'm like, whatever, I can embrace the weird. So anyway, they came out and I will say it was kind of titillating music. It was a little bit like, uh, what's it called? Stranger Things. But like if Stranger Things was like music to get down to. (laughs) So I kind (laughs) of was like, look, this is like not what I would have thought I would have liked, but like, you know you could kind of, like, get busy to this (laughs) in, like, a violent way. And then, like, the guys all, like, they had, like, pretty good arms. You couldn't see much because they're in their cloaks (laughs) and their masks. (laughs) But, you know, like, when he whipped out his sword and, like, brandished it, I was like, I don't know if that's for me. But then he, like, played the keyboard like he was, like, you know, Mozart on Ecstasy. And, like, that I was kind of into. So, anyway... I had a bonding experience with my son, glowing swords and, you know, glimpses of bicep that I'm never going to say no to. And I learned a thing or two about, you know what, just again, always remember, never to judge, always to just remember, even if I ended up yucking that yum, which I didn't, I actually kind of yummed the yum, I would go see them again. It was just a good reminder to like, keep an open
0: mind. I have to say, I mean, there's something for everyone. And I think I, that's what I love the most. Like, I'm really happy for these people who have felt like they found their place with these, like, swordsman rockers, that's you know? That's right. They're having
1: – they're living their best life. And yeah. And, you know, one of my friends who, like, lives up in Seattle, she was telling me recently she took her child to a monster truck show. Look, I definitely know I don't have an interest in monster trucks. Like, you know, I mean – Maybe, look, maybe I could, but I really don't think I do. However, she said when she went there, there were people, there were men weeping from delight in watching the monster trucks. And that I am into. I'm like, you know what? If there's something where somebody's like in their feels watching this monster truck to where it's moved them to tears, like good for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, they found their joy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they did. And that's a powerful act of, you know, rebellion, rebellion. And just you know, it's so life affirming. So just like they're called, they're called Master of the Sword. No, they're called the Magic Sword. Oh, the Magic Sword. The Magic Sword. Let me just check if it is. There's a the. It's okay. The Magic Magic Sword. It could just be Magic Sword. I guess there is no the, so it is okay. So it's Magic Sword. Yeah, there it is. It's Magic Sword. And how I feel like it's it's giving me medieval times a little bit. Yeah, they're an electronic trio from Boise, Idaho from idaho i know oh which makes God, it even so better precious. and i know <laughs> where my son found them was they were on the soundtrack for thor ragnarok oh well oh
2: well that makes yeah, sense yeah and also that's
1: pretty like, good <laughs> yeah that's really good they are successful yes i mean to a point yes
0: Ex- as successful as you can be in this niche yes and
2: i <laughs> hey if i if my Sword music was in a Marvel movie. I would feel like yeah, I, made I think it. so yeah. too. And
1: so their origin is that they're from the shores of Skyrim, I don't know. Oh, okay. okay, and they are an game. electronic retrowave synthwave band.
0: I'm honestly very interested and I kind of would like to see them. I love that they have personas and names. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah, so it's the Keeper, the Seer,
2: and the Weaver. Wow. You had a good, like, mashup of it when you were talking about it. Like, kind of like, it's like Daft Punk meets, like, Dungeons & Dragons yeah. kind of thing. Like, as far as, like, the vibe. But I was kind of like,
1: uh, I'm a bit too cool for this. And you know what?
2: No. It was joy. And I guess that's what yeah. I come
1: back to over and over right. is, you know what? We all just need to get over ourselves. Me included. On a regular basis. So it was a good reminder to just do that.
0: Yeah, I think I feel like, you know the older i get the more i appreciate what makes other people happy in a way like i i feel like i no longer have that like ooh i'm too cool for that well i mean i do sometimes like i but i'm saying like i'm learning to just like appreciate what makes other people happy and if like mm-hmm. like they're really into that like even like so dane my son has recently decided to get into pokemon mm-hmm. and i have zero interest in pokemon and but you know what i got him a set of cards and he was so freaking happy. He sat on the couch and laid out his cards and talked to me for 20 minutes about them. Was I interested? No. But he was so excited. And I was like, you know what, this is bringing my son joy. It is a harmless hobby. He does it with his friends. So you know, I need to get over myself and just encourage him and cultivate him in this hobby. You know, so I guess that's a good thing. We all need to learn to get over ourselves,
2: right? If it brings you joy and it's not harmful to anybody else, right. like love what you love. Yeah, and masters, master
0: sword, master whatever. Sorry, magic, mad magic. magic sword. <laughs> <laughs> the, they're the masters of their swords. <laughs> magic sword, you know, good for them and their biceps. I'm, I'm all about it. I'm gonna look and them Thor up. And Thor Ragnarok
2: later. too. I did not know that part. Like that to me is the coolest. Yeah, so. that's awesome.
0: Well, I don't know how to do a segue into. Well,
2: I mean, like speaking of like you know loving what you love, (laughs) yeah, without shame, right? Yeah, we love our K dramas, but we're not talking about a K drama. That's a very (laughs) least relation. How about (laughs) celebrating
1: something unexpectedly weird and loving it? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. sure. Which tonight, that is
0: Parasite. Woo! So Parasite, hang on, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about our segue chime. I forgot about the times. <laughs> so Parasite is a 2019 black comedy thriller directed by Bong Joon-ho, who also directed The Amazing Train to Busan. He co-wrote the script with Han Ji-won. It was the first South Korean film to win the Oscar for Best Picture and in total won four Academy Awards, including Best Director and Best Original Screenplay. The film follows two families, one impoverished, living in a basement apartment and folding pizza boxes for cash, and the other, very wealthy, with money for a housekeeper, a driver, and private tutors. The movie is funny, it's dark, it's violent, and there's an exploding toilet. So Amy and I, Megan, were late to the Parasite train as we finally watched it this past weekend while Leah was due for a rewatch, having seen it when it first came out. i have to say I hollered when Park So Jun showed up on screen and I rooted for Choi Woo-Shik even while he seduced a high schooler. <laughs> there aren't really any good guys. So it's a bit like watching a train wreck without zombies. Uh-huh. it's always nice to make a train to busan reference so first we're going to get into the non-spoiler section about parasite this movie really is difficult to discuss without spoilers, but we're gonna give it a shot for a few questions. So first, which actor blew you away the most?
2: Honestly, it was Choi Woo Shik for me. And yes, I said he was bettable in Our Beloved Summer, but that is not why I loved him in this. But I did love how nuanced he made this complex character who was somehow a sympathetic con artist, even though he was not a great human. Because of the way he played Kiwu, I felt his desperation like to my core to do whatever was necessary to both literally and figuratively rise out of the dungeon. Yeah, I'm going to just
1: echo and say Choi shik for sure is like, for me, the breakout in this. And I want to speak to a few scenes that aren't spoilers, but I feel like do showcase some of his nuance. So first, look, I like fucking love that we get a Park Sejun cameo in Parasite. You know, PSJ and Ushik are part of the Wuga squad. And in real life, they're besties. And they just have such good chemistry that came through, even for that short scene at the beginning. But in this scene, and this is a scene where basically Park Sejun is going overseas and he is telling his, you know, his buddy, Kiwoo, you know, why don't you take my gig as an English teacher teaching to a young, rich high school student? I want to get with this student when I get back. And I don't want any of these, like, university guys who are in with a chance to, like, get in on my territory. But basically, he's like, you, <laughs> Kiwu, who, like are kind of just, like, a life loser. He doesn't say that, but I mean, like, that's essentially what's, like, unspokenly applied. Like, you're going to be cool, and you're not going to obviously, like, hook up with, like, the tutor. So, I like, I feel safe letting her, like, go with you while I'm, like, overseas. So in this, I think you can see so much from Ushik's face during the conversation that he is naturally just so smart and... I think that, you know, he has so much untapped potential, but he can't afford to go to university. He is trapped by his circumstances. And so in this little interaction, I feel like we get everything from his hunger to advance in society, to his acceptance of poverty as his lot in life, to the fact he's got some like quiet rage and jealousy, to the fact that he's actually still kind of a pretty good guy all in just a few little facial expressions. I don't know why I love this scene so much, but like it's probably the scene I think about the most when it comes to Parks. I actually saw this a couple of years ago, whereas like both of you just watched this. I don't know why this one sticks out in my head so much. But there's a scene where Ushik has shown up and he's pretending to be this, like, sky-educated, like, part of, like, the elite, elite university system, educated English tutor. And he's, like, he's conning the wealthy mom to, like, be the tutor. And while she's talking to him, he just, like, is basically just, like, shoveling it in. Like, just, like, way up her ass. And... She thinks that her annoying son, little son, is a genius. And she's sitting there, like, rhapsodizing about this, like, crappy self-portrait he's done that's hanging in the hallway. And Ushik realizes, like, he's got to win over the mom to get this job. So he's acting like this shitty, like, picture is just like a fucking Picasso. And he's like, so this is a chimpanzee, right? And the mom is like, no, it's a self-portrait. And he just kind of is like, ah, without missing a beat. And then just starts to point out the ways of a young artist are impossible to grasp. And it's just such BS. But like... Oh, he's so cute. And God, he could just like con me all day. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And this is like a little bit of a non sequitur, but I want to touch on it because I thought about it in watching this film last night was, you know, I've also mentioned how I love the Korean hip hop group Epic High. And the leader of Epic High is Daniel Lee or Tablo. And about a decade ago, he was embroiled in this giant scandal. And I just finished listening to a podcast about it that was done by iHeartRadio and Vice. And it's called Authentic. And honestly, it's excellent. Like, even if you're not a fan of Epic High, like, I really recommend listening to Authentic because the gist of the scandal was that, you know, we all are aware now of, like, scandals that can happen, like, driven by Korean netizens. And in this case, it was a scandal that was, Tablo has pretended to attend Stanford and receive a bachelor's and a master's degree. So Daniel Lee actually went to Stanford, full stop. He got a bachelor's and he got a master's. But people didn't believe that he really did. And it tapped into this idea that there's actually a real problem with document fraud in South Korea. And as a result, there's like this kind of like societal rage that happens between haves and have nots. And- In this jostling to, like, get ahead, sometimes people are pretending that they've gained credentials, particularly overseas, to get a leg up. And we see this in Parasite when, you know, the sister who goes by Jessica, like, claims to be from Illinois State University. And, you know, she's the one who's probably the best in the whole family at being a con. Because she's just, like, a stone-cold badass bitch. And I think about also, like, you know, so she forges all her degrees. She forges you know everybody's credentials and then you know on top of that you know as she gets in and she's like you know the art she's pretending to be the art therapist to work with the quote unquote gifted son she's the one who then realizes like the next piece in the puzzle where she can get the rich family's driver fired to get her dad a job and literally ends up like sliding her panties off in the back of a Benz to leave behind evidence that's going to make the driver look like he's like a shady sex fiend and you know I felt like yeah that was just like an interesting little thing of like you know touching on some of the forged and like what was happening there and just kind of how that can fit into like the greater play but yeah i really respected her weird little character and she's fucked up but like in fiction as a fictional character i respect her yeah
2: she was she was super smart like yeah i mean the fact that you know when yeah i don't want to i don't want to give too much away but like as the art therapist like the way that she pulls off all of the bullshit that she feeds them like without even batting an eye it was yeah it was pretty bananas but, like, Yeah, she's like, I googled it. Yeah, Yeah. I just googled it. And it was her confidence.
1: She basically (laughs) would be like, I must be alone for my whatever, and they were all like, okay, clearly you know what you're doing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Wu Shik stood out for me, obviously. I think I, like, messaged you guys in Slack, and I was like, what the hell? Like, between, like, this and Train to Busan, like, why is he doing, like, (laughs) bland characters, like our beloved Summer? No offense to our beloved Summer, but I just mean, that was...
1: No, oh, i thought he was great as he was
0: great in it but like to me like the depth of emotion he showed in parasite in like a two and a half hour movie was like insane compared to right um, well i mean, no, I mean it, even Summer. in
1: train to he busan. had a lot more to work in with. train to busan remember he like stole this thing from out of everyone in train to busan oh, yeah. yeah
0: he was awesome in that so- I just love him. He was fantastic. But since you guys both mentioned Choi Woo-Shik, I'm actually going to go with Kong Ho-Song, who plays the father, ki Mm -hmm. I just, oh boy, like the wide range of emotions he shows in this as like the struggling patriarch to this family are fascinating. And, you know, I don't want to get too much into it. We'll mention this later. But like the tension, like simmering below his skin for two hours that would eventually lead to a homicidal boil was just so skillfully done. He had to act a lot with his face Uh and not dialogue because, again, he's, like, posing as this driver. So Uh you have to watch carefully to his facial expressions to see how each kind of indignity is, like, piled on him until he, like, blows his stack. So it was just – it was so good. So good. So – butter voice <laughs> as we call him on the pod also known as lee sun kyun do we prefer him as a sad sack in my <laughs> <He's> so mean. <laughs> I <fly> me <laughs> a sad sack in my mister <laughs> fighting free, words i know a free spirit cousin in coffee prince or a smarmy rich guy with a sensitive nose more on that later
2: <laughs> So I'm not done with my mister yet, but I think it's still safe for me to say that my favorite character of his that I've seen so far is Choi Han Sung from Coffee Prince, where we first dubbed him as Butter Voice. I just, like, that was one of my favorite parts of Coffee Prince was his storyline and his friendship with the heroine. So I really, really loved him in that. But his look and his vibe in Parasite was pretty hot, even though nobody should be... Considered hot in this movie because right. everybody's terrible.
1: <laughs> I know. But it's- I'm sorry.
2: Like, as soon as he came on the screen, I was like, oh man, like seeing him with like a, you know, 21st century haircut and not as, you know, his 80s hair, even his 80s hair is fine in Coffee Prints. But like seeing him as this, like, just basically like a hole rich guy, mm-hmm. I don't know. It did something for me.
1: <laughs> I just think, how can you make me choose? I mean, I do like his... Ugh, I'm going to use sad sack because you're using it. Sad sack, but gentle self in my mister. I actually don't even mean sad sack in, in, in like a mean way. No, I know, is. but like he's pitiful. He says he's pitiful. Well,
0: so.
1: and so I am excited to unpack that one later. I'm not finished right. with it yet, but I do dig it. Yeah, And I look, I loved him as the hipster arty cousin and Coffee Prince with commitment issues. <laughs> but like, it's true that... He is hot as this, like, titan Uh, of capitalism and parasite. And this role is his least appealing character, I would say. exactly, But it's his finest in terms of just being straight-up daddy-eye candy. (laughs) Because, like, wow-wow-wee-wow, his character is (laughs) such a giant douche in this movie. Like, first, speaking of his strong sense of smell... Remember how he sniffed Jessica's, like, panties in the yes. car? Like, yes! so gross. Yep. And then, like, later he just is all outraged with his wife, like, imagining, like, how dare a working class driver get thrills off of dripping his semen where his boss sits? I was like, uh, who is the pervert, sir? Like, you've really <laughs> unpacked this down to, like, a gross <laughs> level. And then, like, there's this other really, like, subtle moment that he does where, you know, the, like, the poor father, like, our main character, is the driver at this point. And he asks him if he loves his wife. And Yi Sun-kyun has this, like, laugh that's kind of chilling. And he's like, you know, of course I love her. He's but, like, that's like... what we'll call it. He's like, and sure, I, I love, love her. We'll that's what we'll call it. We'll, we'll call it love. And, like, that gave me goosebumps. Because, honestly, like, his wife is the worst. But I pity her, even as I have contempt
2: for her.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't think his wife was working with a full deck. <laughs> like
2: she just didn't. She wasn't all there. She's the epitome of privilege. Yeah, the like, epitome the, of the privilege. The things that yeah. mattered to her were like on such a level of privilege. It was. It was bonkers. But like going back for a second to like the sniffing the panties in the back seat, His character was such that like I knew he was going to do that as soon as he picked him up. I'm like, he's going to sniff him. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I just and like I was not shocked at all that the character did that. And still, right, like Leah said, like, capitalist daddy vibe. I know all the way. And just
1: even when he's just like, Yeah, we'll call it love, whatever I have for my fucking hot wife that I'm gonna fuck, but I don't really, you know, whatever. He holds her in contempt as well, right? But and he's just, oh, he's such a douche in it. But if I just look at him and like hit mute Exactly. It's Mm -hmm. like daddy. It's a daddy. Daddy's home, daddy's home. Yeah, this I was really
0: honestly conflicted about how I felt about him because look, he didn't do it for me in Coffee Prince at all. I just I didn't like his clothes, I didn't like his haircut. Shame on you. I don't know, just
2: shame on you. I
0: know, I know. And then I mean, I guess I like slightly softened to him in my Mister, but it's just that's just not the type of character I'm like gonna warm to. Which I didn't warm to him in Parasite, but there was just something about him. He came on the screen and I was and same I was like, okay, I mean, he's daddy. fucking hot, is what and, he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, him playing this, like, rich snob, like, had me by the throat, and I was really captivated by his voice and his character. And you're right, it was the way he delivered some of his dialogue that was just
2: perfection.
0: Like, like again, that that quote about his wife, where he's like, sure.
2: Right? You love. Yeah. And, like, that... Everything, oh my- I, you know God. what I think I'll say, as far as, like, the entire cast, everybody's performance is understated in like a super artistic perfectionist way, you know, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, it's not big. Yeah. It's not big on the screen, yet it's so much, right? Like, it's just, the characters are so ingrained in these people that they don't have to be big about it. It's just mm-hmm. there.
0: I do think that's sort of interesting. And there, there really is a difference between, well, I mean, it's probably the same with, with Western TV, too, but... Because sometimes in K-dramas, we do have kind of like over the top acting on purpose, like especially with like the rom-coms and stuff. And then you have a movie like Parasite. And I would also say the movie One Night in Paradise, which was not funny at all. It was just a straight up like, I don't know, blood fest. But it was the same. A lot of those characters just had these kind of like understated performances. And I find that really interesting in Korean movies because they're so powerful at being understated,
2: yeah, it's just a very different vibe from a drama, which is fine, you know. Like I, I like that there's a, that there is some differentiation there. One of the things that that I love about, you know, seeing this movie a year plus after I started watching dramas is that like I knew everybody in it and I knew them from dramas, so it was really fun yeah. to see them in this capacity.
0: Yeah, every time someone came on the screen, they I recognized. I was like yelling. I was like so excited. I did not remember that Park So Jun had like a cameo in the beginning. I think uh, I think someone, I think Leah had like mentioned it, but I completely forgot about it. And it was like you first see him, and he's kind of like walking down a hallway. Like, and it was like as soon as I almost like recognized his walk, and then when his face came into view, I was like, "Park so Jun!" Like, I was so excited <laughs> to see him, and plus, you know, all the other characters that that were familiar. So are there any drama or movie comps for
2: Parasite? So I just finished watching the first season of Pachinko because I read it and I, I read that they are hoping to make it four seasons, which I hope it like gets picked up for more because it's totally not done. Like it's only like barely covered a chunk of the book. And while I maintain that this is, we've said it before, this is not a K-drama, but a mini series about Korea. Um, It's a great comp as far as a story about what the oppressed will do when pushed to the limit when trying to rise up. I thought season one was really well done, but I will warn that if it's the Darkly comic you want, you will not laugh. Ever. (laughs) in Pachinko. But it's a fabulous portrayal of the desperation of poverty and oppression and how differently everybody in this amazing ensemble of characters, how differently they react to their sort of assigned stations in life and whether or not they sort of accept that or try to change it and, you know, what what that says of their character in the way that they try to change it because there's some people that are extremely noble as far as their situations in life and there are some people who will, you know, bite Push claw, you know, to get where they need to go. But you can see why, which I think is really important, especially since it's based on you know history. And
1: I think for me, you know, Parasite. It and we can touch on this, you know, at some point. Maybe right now is a good time too. Parasite's not a horror, and sometimes it kind of gets like marketed as a horror. I mean, not a not a ton, but it does come up. And I think it's it's a mistake. But I'm gonna comp it to a horror. <laughs> And that's Strangers from Hell. And the reason I'm comping it to the K-drama Strangers from Hell is because I feel like both do an interesting and creative job of exploring economic haves and have-nots, problems wrought by capitalism, the social inequity that is, you know, plaguing South Korea and, you know, so many parts of the world. But, you know, this is like, you know, South Korea reflecting on its own, you know, its own struggles and inequities. And so I feel like while parasite doesn't have like overt cannibalism (laughs) and you know that we know of there could be (laughs) that we know of and you know there may be killing but it's not like killing for For meat. (laughs) the pleasure (laughs) it's like killing for meat and the pleasure yeah I feel like it's just like those economic like just that economic pressure and the story being told from the point of view primarily of the folks who are disadvantaged
0: yeah I mean I would agree with that so Lee Jong-un is in Strangers from Hell and in a way she plays kind of like the mother to a little unruly band of serial killers in a way. <laughs> she's she's, she's so, the head meat marinator. <laughs> yeah she is so creepy I know. in Strangers from Hell like creep to the mass. Oh So bad. Because she just kind of like has this like eerie smile with her like red lipstick oh my and god her juma so, her juma perm yeah and so as soon as i saw her in parasite i was like oh god oh god because it's like i can't i almost cannot divorce her from that role in stranger or oh, Hell okay. because it was so impactful to me so i saw her in parasite and like right away i started to get like my stomach started to like churn i was like oh god and because i know she can pull out amazing performance like creepy beyond creep and i will say too I liked that she was in both of these Strangers in mm. Hell and Parasite. She's in everything, she honestly. Is. Yeah. And another thing is, I said this in Slack, that I was sort of, like, uncomfortable the whole movie Yeah. Parasite. Because it's just, it's uncomfortable. I, I maybe don't want to watch, like, a 20-hour drama where I'm uncomfortable, but, like, a two-and-a-half-hour movie where I'm uncomfortable, I like it. Because that means it's kind of pushing me out of my comfort zone. And I would say Strangers from Hell gave me a similar feeling. I felt uncomfortable kind of the whole time I was watching it. For all eight episodes? (laughs) Yeah, like all eight episodes. So like if that's kind of your vibe and you do like being kind of like pushed out of your comfort zone, then I would consider that a Mm comp, if that makes sense. And because
2: I did not see Strangers from Hell, I know her best from When the Camellia Blooms.
1: Mm -hmm. I
2: mean, I loved her in that, right? And so – when she came and, and I knew she had like a big role in this, but they do kind of give you a fake out that she doesn't have okay. a big role in this, and when her character does come back, she brings the creep factor and she brings it good.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so picture that, but like times twenty. Yeah. I, <laughs> and that's yeah, her I believe character it now. I believe some hell
1: yeah, she's just. I think she is fascinating, and I love. Okay, her. so she's in our blues, which I know you know it's still going. I've seen you know some of the episodes. I you know I'm I'm watching way too many dramas at the moment, but she is good in our blues and not creepy. But she's like sassy and feisty. Ooh, that I haven't seen yet. And pulls it off very very well. So I believe it. Yeah, but like yeah, sassy feisty kind of like girl boss energy. I like it. All right, so we are at our favorite part of every episode, and that is our K-pop Wreck of the Week. And we're going to go with Megan this week. And Megan, what do you got for us?
0: So Icon has a comeback, and I sent this video and song to both Leah and Amy right when they had the comeback, I think, last week. So the song is called But You, and I dig it so much. It kind of has like 80 synth vibes, maybe a little bit like The Weeknd. I think their voices sound so fantastic. I think each member really got a chance to shine in this song. Overall, the song makes me really happy. It's like kind of fun, almost a little like love nostalgia it's just it's great and i'm really happy for them because i think it's doing really well so again the group is icon and the song is called but you
2: it was super fun like i loved it i said it gave me like uh aha vibes like take on me like that's what it felt like to me and i love that
0: yeah there's this part where they're like i need you baby and like i it's in my head non stop like it's like it's this the song turned into an earworm for me completely and i just love it I, anyway i just think it's really great and i got to introduce another compact king or i say short king to leah there's a member named jin wan who is like five five and he's a short feisty guy and i love him a lot
1: so anyway check it out if you enjoy our podcast you have our patrons to thank at least in part. Afternoon a Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www com, And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoon Delight Podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop Rex, blow up your skin with K-merch Rex, find all of our social media, and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps with our discoverability. Thank
0: Okay, so we are going to get into spoilers now, which I hope we didn't, if you haven't watched it, I hope we didn't spoil it too much already. It's just, I think would be good to go in dark. That's kind of how I went into it. And I'm really glad that I didn't know like anything about it. I had no idea there was going to be, you know, like murder. Actually. Oh, I did. I did. <laughs> I did. It. So basically, if you haven't watched it yet, why don't you go check it out? And then you can tune back in and listen to us chat about it. But we're going to get right into it now. So... A little bit more of a detailed rundown of Parasite. A poor family who lives in an apartment basement scheme to infiltrate a wealthy family's home by posing as unrelated skilled employees. The son, played by Choi Wu Shik, is hired as an English tutor. The daughter, played by Park So Dam, is hired as an art therapist. The father, Kong Ho Song, as a driver. And the mother, Zhang Hae Jin, as the housekeeper. They, you know, really are not the nicest people <laughs> as they plot and lie to get the former employees fired. But it all goes wrong when they learn that the former housekeeper, played by Lee Jong Eun, as we mentioned earlier, unbeknownst to the homeowners, keeps her husband in a secret apartment basement. The battle over the basement results in four deaths and a whole lot of carnage. (laughs) A battle over the basement. They should just named it that. There's a very clear buildup to the climax of this movie, which we did reference a little early. And a lot of that hinged on the father of the poor family, Tech, hitting a breaking point. So what did you think about the thread in the
2: movie relating to the smell of poverty? Oh, my gosh. This was so powerful. But again, like I'm going to say, like, really understated the way that they built it up. It was so impressive. It starts out as something super subtle. That when the smell is first mentioned by the parks, Key Tech and his family are seen at home later, like laughing about it, saying that Chung-Suk, his wife, has to start washing all their clothes in different detergents so that they smell differently. Because, you know, it's the the son and the park family who's like, she smells like him and they all smell like each other. You know, that he's kind of pointing it out. And they brush it off as like, oh, we all smell the same because we live together. But every time it comes up after that, With both Mr. and Mrs. Park having strong reactions to Kitek's smell while he's driving them, like on separate occasions, you see it chipping away at his emotional resolve. And then when Mr. Park has to cover his nose at the end, when he gets close to the housekeeper's husband's dead body, part of the carnage, because he smells of poverty too. That is, that's it. Like that's the straw that broke the camel's back. He tech loses it because that's really like the confirmation where he realizes, oh, like we smell, that's what you're saying is we smell like poverty. Like it all kind of like sinks in that that is what the smell is because he knows that the other guy is just like him. And I mean, it's like a weird thing to say that I understand Why he picked up that big butcher's knife and did what he did. I don't condone it at all. And like, and he was remorseful about it too. Again, doesn't condone murder, but like, I got that breaking point. Like, I felt it.
1: Yeah, and I don't have much to add to what you're saying, except for the fact that I just thought it was interesting that when it first comes up, it's the child who notices it. The little annoying yeah. genius son who's like, you smell like, Ugh, and like, oh, you smell like this too. And oh, like, you know, like, they all smell the same. And it's just kind of that, like, throwaway comment. But I thought it was interesting that they chose very strategically to have it be raised first by the child rather than, like, by the adults. And then it's almost like, you know, it's an innocent introduction at first, then you see them all kind of doing the laughing. And then as it starts to like pervade into like the grownups noticing it, it, like it gets more serious. So that's why I feel like sometimes it's like that slow ratcheting of like the tension. And so I thought that that was kind of a well done way to do it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And that was, I think, what struck me the most was how well it was done. And it was again, this like slow boil to the climax. It was really powerful to me. You know, it's a joke, but then it really shifted into, like, where it was shaming. So at one point in the movie, the rich family leaves, and so I hate calling them the rich family and the poor family. The Parks. The Parks. The Parks. It's the
2: Parks and the Kims.
0: The Parks leave, the homeowners, and the Kims, they all work for the family, so they're kind of like off the clock, and so they all kind of, they sit around the, the table, and they get drunk, and they eat a lot of food, but then the Parks come home early. So the Kims have to, like, scramble. And so obviously the housekeeper mother is, like, making the park's food, but the father and the daughter and the son have to hide under the coffee table. And so the park couple are sitting on the couch, and that's when they're talking about how he smells, and it moves from, oh, they all smell the same, or they have a smell... To, it's a stink. Do you know what I mean? It, like, moves from that. And that scene, So because they're on the couch, the the father is right there. They don't know it, obviously. Uh I was so uncomfortable. Yeah. And, like... I felt shame. Like, I felt like I needed to smell myself. The scene to me was so visceral. He's lying there listening to this. His children are beside him. That's what I was going to say, and he's not alone. He's not Like, alone. his kids are there listening to this, too. Listening, yeah, and, you know, he's their father. And, like, so he feels shame. He feels shame probably for his children at the same time. It's just a really, really, oh, just... That scene was so, so powerful. And then when they had to leave, they had to trudge through, you know, that's when the flood happened, essentially. They had to trudge through, like, literal shit water for what was left of their belongings. And I was like, you know... At this point, nothing felt understated. It was definitely... Right. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We had a good buildup. We had a good buildup and then they then went... Then it went big. Yeah, then it yeah. went big. Which, you know, that leads into our next question. The movie is a bit or maybe a lot of a social satire on status and greed, wealth versus poverty, which no one does that like South Korea, if you harken back to Squid Game. So what symbolism in the movie stuck out to you the most?
2: Yeah, Megan, I know you and I talked about the Stairs in the Storm that you just started to bring up. like. I'll let you talk a little bit more about the shit water. But I just want to say like in general, the cinematography in this scene was beyond amazing. Like to see the descent from wealthy down into poverty, you know, like the sort of wide shot view of them like trudging through this terrible storm down to their quote unquote level, super painful. And you know, that point when Kiwu like just stops on the stairs And the rain's just pouring, and you can tell that that's his breaking point, too. That he's like, this is what I brought us to, kind of thing. Because he's the one who, right, he's the one who got the ball rolling with the whole family infiltrating the park house, And now, because they're about to be found out because of the, the former housekeeper and her husband in the basement, yeah, it's super, super uncomfortable and super powerful. And at the same time, this, like, beautiful cinematography of it.
0: Yeah, it's weird to say that it's beautiful, but it is. Yeah, I mean, the same thing. It's like this descent to their basement apartment from the wealthy home down, you know, what felt like zillions of flights of stairs. (laughs)
1: Like,
0: like, it almost seemed it was so many stairs that it felt very intentional, you know what I mean? To like show how far they had to walk down. And also the way that the water was, of course, rushing down as if like, Essentially washing all the trash and the burdens to those in poverty made me think how there's like another meaning to the trickle
1: down effect. Hmm. Thanks, Ronald Reagan there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about the viewing stone or the scholar's stone. We see ki be gifted this stone from his upper class university friend played sexily as always by Park seo at the beginning.
2: And, right, he's in the movie for like eight minutes, and he has this like lasting effect. And, well, I mean, I've talked about him like more <laughs> on
1: you know, podcast. So you know, this is like this like scholarly, glamorous, but like very useless gift. Like even Kiwoo's mom, Mrs. Kim, like she grumbles that she wishes that like Min had brought food instead. But like Kiwoo even has this thing that I feel like is really just like the director, you know, screenwriter, like pointing and underlining, like oh, this is so metaphorical. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's a stone that's seen as, like, this, like, sign of wealth. And it's something that, like, a rich person would own. Like, imagine who's got the luxury to sit and stare at a rock and, like, think about life and meanings, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's very, like, to me, intentional that this rock is gifted at the beginning. And it kind of is, like, the first part of the show is, like, them then beginning to, like, rise up. Then we see during the flood, the rock somehow, you know, rocks aren't meant, you know, rocks are meant to be part of like, yeah, nature. So it rises from the depths of the shit water to (laughs) Kiwu. And it's like this like very cruel reminder and later it's used to bash his head in. So, again, just to like quote for like Kiwoo, like, oh, this is so metaphorical. I feel like that rock really does. And then beyond that, we kind of see at the end, you know, Kiwoo, ha- like, we realize that like Mr. Kim has been like spending his days after like committing murder on the run. Now he's like the man in the basement, basement, <laughs> like hiding. And we can see that Kiwoo has this like fantasy where he is going to like rise up in his station. Still, he is going to be able to buy this house and his father is going to be able to get out of that basement and, like, walk upstairs and, like, stand in the sunshine, right? And he has this, like, little vision of them, like, doing just that and, like, being at the park house and it's now their house and they're embracing. But reality is, is that he, like, gets back to the half basement, like, literal shithole and like that's his reality and so i feel like in the end too like beyond just like the rock existing as this like stone of privilege it's also got this like sisyphean vibe to it of Mm, you know mm -hmm. just kind of like this is like the boulder he's gonna keep pushing and eventually it's gonna crush him
0: i didn't think about sisyphus that's good that's a wait wait sisyphus sisyphus Sisyphus. (laughs) Sisyphus. sisyphus sisyphus sounds so cute sisyphus, <laughs> well, it's, sisyphus. it's sisyphus right i think saying sisyphus i didn't think about sisyphus <laughs>
2: that's a that's a really good comparison yeah,
0: yeah it is I you're not
2: allowed to say so i'm not allowed though, to oh say God. it i can't like me say with it. palanquin <laughs> yeah. i like
1: cannot
2: Sisyphusen. Sissyfoot, cute sissy sissy little Sissyfoot, rolling sissy his foot. rock up the hill. Oh,
1: <laughs> forever cursed, forever and ever. Who was like, oh god, it's just like Kiwu. and it makes me sad because Kiwu is so cute and he's so uh, smart. And at the end, yeah. yeah, he's got like a dead sister, a dad in a hole, his Baseman life dad. in a hole. Yeah, and he, so dad's and in a brain real, damage, yeah, brain and, like, damage, <laughs> brain damage. You can't stop laughing. Oh man. Oh okay. god. <sighs>
0: Okay, so did your sympathies shift between characters during this movie? And what's one time you really wanted to give one of them a hug? <laughs> I mean, the storm
2: really got to me, particularly when they were all like on their bedrolls in like the gymnasium shelter. And Kiwoo apologizes to his father for everything going so wrong while he's snuggling with the rock, by the way. Mm-hmm. And that, along with the letter he writes his dad at the end of like what Leo was just saying about him going to college and being successful so he can buy the house where his dad is hiding so he can finally come up out of the basement again more great symbolism like that really got me and I thought he really did find success and buy the house and then the scene cuts from successful ki like I was like really it's gonna like I was surprised I was like it's gonna end on this like really uplifting note that like they win yeah. you know like the sister might be dead, but they win. So it cuts from this scene of the, you know, college-educated, successful ki hugging his father to the still-in-the-basement apartment ki finishing the letter and saying, that's what I'll do someday. Like, my heart broke for him and the family. Uh-huh. Yes, ki Tech was a murderer, like I've said before. And I don't condone that. But I got what broke him in that sort of fateful moment. Like his daughter was stabbed and bled out and then pile on Mr. Park covering his nose. Like that was fucking rough. And I got it. Mm-hmm. I felt it.
1: And like while his daughter's bleeding out, Mr. Park is like, Driver <laughs> Yeah, driver, give me the keys. Yeah. Right.
2: Oh yeah, give me the keys so I can get the fuck out of here while mm-hmm. all hell's breaking loose. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so I just wanted to mention that they literally, like the Kim family literally shaves peaches (laughs) because the (laughs) housekeeper has this like peach allergy. And so when they decide that they've got to get rid of her, they like sprinkle the peach fuzzies on her and like make it seem like she has tuberculosis. And so, you know, like, Kiwo and his sister were smart, resourceful kids. And I feel like they should be, like, saving the country, not just displacing other members of the working class and serving the rich who are intellectually beneath them. So, like, I felt like, you know, in some cases it was like, God, this is horrible. But also, like, what a case for supporting anything that leads to social mobility. (laughs) (laughs) because, like, yeah, give them, like, you know, like, put them into, you know, ambassador positions. Don't have them, like, you know, trying to, like, take out the the housekeeper with the husband hiding in the even deeper basement.
2: I was gonna say, it goes to show you that, like, the college... Like, I'm all for like, if you want to go get a college degree, and you can, you have the means, go for it, get a college degree. But that piece of paper, that diploma doesn't guarantee that you are a smart, resourceful person, right? It's your actions that do. And that's exactly what Kiwoo and his sister were, is they were brilliant people. They just, you know, were evil geniuses rather than genius geniuses. Yeah. And I think what
1: becomes also interesting is just that idea that there are these layers. So, we, you know, we have the Kims who are down on their luck, but then we have, you know, the housekeeper's husband, Conse in the secret bunker, who's even lower down. Right. And then they're kind of like, well, at least we're not like those big of low lives <laughs> and so like the fact that they were even able to like you know kind of displace these people it kind of just showed that like yeah even within like this like rigid hierarchy there were still like you know they were just trying to jostle for positions even down in like the lower classes
0: and i think we kind of talked about this a little but what did you think about the ending any predictions on what the future holds for the Kim family.
2: I mean, like, I found a really fun quote from the director, because like I said, like, when I first saw it, I was like, what? Like, everything's wonderful. He bought the house. Like, why couldn't he just do it like that in the first place? Right? And I think that that is the point of it, right? Like, like, to hope like that is foolish. And I found an article, it was actually an article in Esquire that quoted the director of Bong Joon-ho from something that he said in Vulture, which... I should have probably just looked for the Vulture article, but it was late last night. (laughs) Remember, this is translation too, but this is what he says about the ending. It's a surefire kill, the director told Vulture in reference to the ending, referring to a Korean phrase for a gunshot that makes sure someone is definitely dead. Here, what is definitely dead is the hope that a bad hand in life can be overturned, or that the constraints of class can be broken out of. This hope can both sustain and torture us, but Junho ho exposes it as a lie. He continues, maybe if the movie ended where they hug and fades out and the audience can imagine, oh, it's possible to buy that house. But the camera goes down to that half basement, he says. It's quite cruel and sad, but I thought it was being real and honest with the audience. You know and I know, we all know that this kid isn't going to be able to buy that house. I just felt that frankness was right for the film even though it's sad.
0: Oh, man, that's such a good quote. Thank you for finding that.
2: Right? Like, let him say it. I
0: mean, like, I couldn't have
1: said it any better, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's, like, again, like, the false promise that we, like, wrestle with in, you know, a capitalistic society. And look, I'm not going to, like, sit here and be, you know, I know other structures, you know, have problems, and I'm not going to, like, you know, defend communism today or anything like that. But, you know, I'm going to critique capitalism in the sense that, like, there is this false narrative and promise that gets put out there that's like look at these people who've made it because you can always show somebody who's made it there is always somebody who does end up buying the house however it is not like the norm And I feel like the fact that every once in a while, someone is able to like claw their way up through like blood, sweat and tears and like get that house means that everyone who's already up there can be like, look, look, this is
2: available to everyone. And that's just not the reality. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really good point. Like, yes, capitalism wants to sell us on the fact that anybody can do it, but that's not true. Mm -hmm. Sadly. I mean, it's, it's the sad truth is that only the few, because of the way that capitalism works, make it out of, you know, all the way down in the basement. It's possible, but... But everyone thinks they've got the opportunity to do it. Even even Kiwu right. at the end, after
1: everything that's happened to him, is still like, but if I go to college and work really hard with my brain damage and dead sister and father in the right. hole, I, too, can make it happen. I know. You know, like, at this point, you're like, whoa, that's a heavy... You're like, you're on heroin. Well, I
2: know, because I'm like, dude, you, you already, like, have been tried and found guilty. Your father <laughs> is, like a fugitive it's not happening you know right the Mm -hmm. fact that that hope remains i think like he says it's like a, a blessing and a curse if we just say you know screw it and there is no hope then what are we trying for but is it, I would say that what would make it more, like, if I wanted it to be hopeful at
1: no, the I end, No, I didn't want the actually, movie to be hopeful. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. But I'm saying if oh, I did okay. want it to end on a hopeful note, it's not that he has hope to buy the house. Cause to me, what's the tragedy? The tragedy is that he has the hope. And it's not that he yes. should have no hope. It's that he hasn't readjusted. It's not realistic And, hope. like, reshaped, yeah, his hope to something that is going to be, like, good and healing and fulfilling for him. It's that he's still, like, addicted to this toxic hope. Right. I just thought of a comp
0: that's not a K-drama. So there's a Spanish movie, I think it's Spanish, called The Platform. It came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit of a mind fuck and it's definitely like kind of like ripe with symbolism, but essentially there are prisoners in like a vertical cell and there's a food platform mm-hmm. every day that drops down. And your level is random. And if you have a very, very low number and you're at the very bottom of the cell, a lot of times you will not get any food because the people at the top don't ration it at all for you. And so it's extremely interesting how the same with the prisoners kind of they try to like rise up. (laughs) <laughs> and in a little, uh, in a way, there's a lot of symbolism, but how there's kind of like only one way down. So yeah, it's called The Platform. It's very like bloody, violent, and not funny. But I think about the movie a lot. I think about it a lot, because it definitely had a lot to study, again, uh, when it comes to symbolism and the haves and have nots. So, lastly, did this movie make you want to run down to your basement and check for secret passages?
2: Jesus, no. Like, all I would find are mice and squirrels, and I don't want to, like, fucking see them partying it up and laughing at the poor silly little homeowner who really has no control over her home whatsoever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I have wood rats. I know that because I hear them sometimes on the walls. Wait, what are wood rats? (laughs) They like, mm, they're just like a rat species. Exactly yeah. what they sound like.
0: <laughs> yeah, they like eat yeah. wood or something, or they chew through it.
1: Uh, kind of. I mean, like ours. We haven't had them for a little while because we do, you know, my partner traps for them. But yeah, you'll hear them kind of like every, you know, maybe like once a year or every other year. Like there'll be like a little incursion, and you'll just hear them like chitter chattering. Like yeah, behind the bed <laughs> at night. <laughs>
2: Wee, 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 wee. Oh my god!
0: <laughs> when okay, so when I was in college, I uh, for two years I lived in a row home with three other girls, and so these were very old row homes. Like they didn't have firewalls; it was terrible. Like I can't believe I lived there. So we lived in it on an end unit, and it was kind of like a cool. Uh, the ceilings were really high. They had kind of like arch doorways. This like big wooden banister. It was kind of a neat little row home, but the basement was like a whole nother story. So I hated the fucking basement. <laughs> in this room. <laughs> it was a complete dirt floor. The Ugh. stone walls seeped moisture Ew. all the time. I like was like is this like a cask of amontillado yes, like situation is. is there like a body closed up behind I would be afraid going I, down there that somebody was yeah. going to wall me in. So right I hated going down there. We didn't store anything down there because it was always what was a dirt floor and it was always like really damp. But we had to go down every once in a while because we had oil heat. So there was a big oil tank down there. Was this
2: also like in the 1800s?
0: (laughs) I know. Trust me. It's the weirdest thing. I've never like heard of oil heat other than this. And I remember too, like when we had to like get oil and all our parents were like you have oil heat in this row home but anyway you had to go down and like check the levels you could not run out of oil that was obviously like a very bad bad thing we couldn't heat the house and then i also think it costs more to like whatever so we'd have to go down all the time and i freaking hated it like i'm telling you I would not be surprised if there's some secret passage in that basement and there's like some family living there. And like the oil tank would also like rattle oddly sometimes. Like you could hear it from upstairs. I thought the place was haunted. Was there electricity down there? Were you like walking down with like a lantern? There was like one naked bulb, (laughs) you know, like near the oil tank. It was horrible. But it was, I, I don't know, this movie made me remember that ba- i haven't thought about that basement in a really long time yeah so like thanks to this movie for bringing back like the terrible memories of this haunted basement that i lived in for two years my college town you know i don't want to go back and visit <laughs> and check the basement now and see, yeah, and- <laughs> see who's still <laughs> no, living <thank> there <laughs> <laughs> oh god i mean i'm sure it's more college students and i'm sure nothing has been updated and it's still a fire hazard <laughs> Okay, so what are we watching?
2: So I mentioned earlier that I just finished Pachinko, which I loved. And I'm waiting very impatiently for you, Leah, to catch up because I need to talk about episode seven with you. I need to talk about the Hansu episode so badly. But I loved what they did with it. You know, it's really hard to read a book and then like what anybody does with it, right? And then to not even like, you know, you read a book and you're like, all right, I'm going to sit through a two hour movie. And if I hate it, I hate it. It's two hours of my life. But this is this was eight hours. Of, you know, miniseries. And it was really well done, I thought. And they even added stuff that I was okay with. I'm really looking forward to see what's going to happen in the ensuing seasons that I hope get picked up. But yeah, I bawled in the last episode. It was really, really good. So now I'm back into my mister, because that's what we're going to be doing for the pod. So I've taken a break from tomorrow, which I was really enjoying. So my bay, Rowoon is going to have to wait for me because I'm going to do my mister first and then I'll go back to that.
1: I'm doing my mister too. And it's just, it's so long. It's so long. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying it. I really like it. So I'm not complaining. It's just, I don't feel called when I finish going. an episode to right. watch the next one. I'm like, okay, that was good. Like I'm good for tonight. And so it's like, it's a lot to be like, you know, I kind of want to like one and one a night it. It's, it's the kind that. of drama
2: that I would have liked to have watched dropping once a week live yes absolutely and i mean maybe the two well we'll get into that it, might be the, yeah. that might Bin, be the difference right like binging Megan, it was yeah.
0: not pleasant but then i binged it just because i wanted it over with <laughs> i don't know how you binge it, it this <laughs> <laughs> is <laughs> <It's laughs> so like an long, hour and a half an episode <laughs> yeah and i did not fast forward just so you know i did not
2: but you could fast forward all the parts where nobody's talking <laughs> right Where he, where I don't think there's that much. I mean, like when they're not talking, it's still
1: really important.
0: (laughs) So I actually think I might start The Sound of Magic only because, like, I really want to, I really want to see it. I think it's different for a K drama. So I want to give it a shot. I want to see Ji Chang Wook singing. I do
2: too.
1: Yeah. And then. I, I don't. I do not. <laughs> okay, watch it,
0: but I will. I will. I will do it. You don't for the have pond. to. I mean, I, I'll watch it and I'll. I'll let you know. It's six episodes, yeah. so I'm like, okay, okay, I can do this. And I actually think I really want to start tomorrow. I feel like I'm really in the mood for for that. I'm in the mood for something that's going to have a lot going on. It's, yeah, it's makes very sense.
2: different. It's very different.
0: I need something that holds my attention. That's like really kind of like. Busy, if that makes sense. It so is, it's or, definitely you know. busy. Yeah, because I took a little time off. I was doing some reading and stuff, so I I wasn't watching. you're <laughs> like I was um, doing um, some reading. Yeah, reading's yeah, good. No. Reading's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of times, I read just to even like do research on the genre I'm writing. So I kind of was doing that and getting back into writing mode. So anyway. That's what I think I'm gonna I'm gonna start. But I just really love Parasite. And I'm really glad that we talked about it and got a chance to really delve into it. This was a really fun discussion. I think
2: it was and it's a great movie. And please go watch it if you haven't if you stuck with this this long and let us spoil the whole thing. Like thank you. But forget everything you just heard and go watch it. Yeah, I
0: agree. So yeah, I think that's everything. So we are gonna head out until next week.
2: Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening. Annyeong!
2: Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to afternoonadelight.com. That's A F T E R N O O N A D E L I G H T.